This is Finance, a basic look at the complex world of investing. Join me, Matt Gregory, and our Wall Street guide, Peter Raschuti, as we put the fun in fundamentals of market capitalism. Don't worry, the dad jokes are free. It's much simpler than people than people perceive it. I mean, they're making it more complicated. I do think the financial industry has made it more complicated just so that you have to go through them. It really, uh, uh, like so many things, the law, things like that, there's uh, maybe maybe broadcasting. God, we don't know, really. We don't, we don't know enough we to make We have no it way of knowing. On this week's episode, grab a sandwich and a drink because Peter's going to plan your retirement over lunch or whatever meal is closest to your listening time. And let's get into it. Joining us again, Peter Raschuti down in New Orleans at Tulane University. And we talked last week, Peter, about the idea that uh, you would be able to explain how we should do our retirement over a meal. So in the span of a half hour, can you tell us everything we need to know about retirement? In fact, I've got some um, chips and salsa right here, and I'm ready to <laughs> see. When I run out of salsa, that means I went over my limit. But it is, uh, no, you know, we've been talking about all the different retirement plans like an IRA and a 401k and a SEP IRA and all of this. But what people don't know or what they don't think of right away is that that's just the first step. There's two steps. Once you open the thing up, you still have to decide what to invest in. Um, and so uh, there's just a lot of approaches to it, but I think it's much simpler than people, than people perceive it. I mean, they're making it more complicated. I do think the financial industry has made it more complicated just so that you have to go through them. It really, uh, uh, like so many things, the law, things like that, there's uh, maybe maybe broadcasting. God, we don't know, really. We don't, we don't know enough. We to have make no way of knowing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what you ought to do is, um, is I, I think it's, it's kind of simple and it's a good way to go about it. First of all, what you need to know is that once you invest these retirement funds, don't ever look at it or maybe once a year or something, uh, this idea that I keep looking at it on my phone, you can change investments within your IRA, but for the most part, once you set it up, just leave it like that. You know, all the mistakes people make are, are basically made of, made of emotion. You know, you, you look at people, how many people sold out all their stocks in uh, March of 2020? Mm -hmm. uh, how many people did that after 9-11, the financial uh, crash of 08, 09? Um, so don't go by that. Uh, just find a plan and stick with it. So what I would do is, let's say you were putting uh, $6,000 in an IRA. Um, first of all, you think to yourself, how much do I want to put in stocks? Because you know that over long periods of time, stocks outperform every other asset class. But that's over a long period. You don't want to, uh, it's going to be volatile. And the last thing you want to do is, uh, on the day you retire, the market crash, and then, you know, you you don't have the money you thought you need to retire. So the first thing to do is figure out how much do I want to put in stocks? And I think that number is kind of simple. You simply take a hundred and you do it minus your age. So uh, Matt, I don't know your exact age, but let's say you're 30. A um, hundred minus 30 is 70. So you should put 70% of that portfolio in stocks. We know that it re returns over a long period are good, but we also know it's very, very volatile. And then the other thing, um, let's take a look at the stock component. I don't think for most people, you ought to be buying individual stocks. That's a lot of work. What are the efforts? You know best that a mutual fund is going to give you um, diversification, which you'd never be able to have buying stocks by yourself. 
Uh, they say about 12 stocks in 12 different industries will give you diversification. Uh, mutual fund can give it to you right away. Um, and uh, it's easy to buy. You can find a lot of no load index funds, which we talked about for a, for a bit earlier. But I think the key on these index funds is for these retirement plans is when I, the tendency is to say, okay, I'm gonna put 70% in an S&P 500 index fund. That's okay, but I don't think that gives you the, uh, the diversification you need. I would, put, um, I would put a third of it in an S&P 500 index fund no load, no cost. Like I said, it can be run by by apes. Is uh, there's no, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You're not going to meet girls at a bar by saying, you know, a pretty clever guy. I manage a S and P 500 index fund. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You know, anybody can do that. You know, so it's uh, so I'd put a third in there. I'd put a third in a small cap index fund. These are all available. There's hundreds of these. Um, the three places I look at, and I'm not promoting anything, is three places I have accounts are. Uh, Fidelity, uh, Schwab, and um, uh, and Vanguard. So they're mm -hmm. all three are, are really low, low, low cost. And it's the cost. You don't want the cost to eat you up. They may seem little, but eventually they'll eat you alive. So I would put a third in an S&P 500 index fund that gets you the big stocks. And then a third in a small cap index fund. You might hear uh, the term Russell 2000. They'll try to match the Russell 2000. And the other third I would put for the stock component is to have an international index fund. And that's the part most people leave out, but it's kind of crazy because now over 50% of the stocks in the world are non-US. And mm -hmm. most people, most US investors have either nothing internationally or like 5% that they've been kicking and screaming to, to go into. And you're missing huge opportunities because these younger companies or these uh, smaller countries rather, their growth rate is faster than the US and their company's growth rates are faster. Now, I wouldn't put it all in that, but now you have three different asset classes within stocks, pretty easy to do. And then I'd put the rest of it, um, I would tend to put is the rest of it in a bond fund, some sort of uh, high, uh, high quality bond fund. So it might be all government bonds, or maybe it'll be um, uh, high, highly ranked corporate bonds, things like that. You do not want to use your IRA or 401k to speculate in. It, it's, it's your future. It's going to determine whether you're going to be a Walmart greeter for 40 years or, and by the way, they phased that job out, which really pisses me off. Cause that was one of my, <laughs> that was one of my go-tos for this. And um, <laughs> that Matt is just what, saying, what, how, what do we what? use now as our retirement job of equivalency? I think I, my goal would be is to be an usher in a ballpark. Oh yeah. That would be awesome. And I'd be so good. I'd wipe off the seats. I'd, you know, say things like, oh, is this your, is this your daughter? Oh, your wife. You know, all the things you should say, you know, you meet people in the ballpark. So, uh, I've, always, I've always thought about, um, you know, in retirement, taking my guitar and going and just sitting on like Bahama cruises, you know, like those private ones and playing music for them. But I'm not very good. So I think I would just play like Margaritaville over and over again. Oh. I'm mostly there to indulge in the wine and the good time, but I want them to think I'm an entertainer. How about I'll just take, uh, 12 bar blues, you know, just I could do that. That's so great. Everybody, everybody likes you. And before you know it, the whole ship's depressed. And I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to call myself Captain Matt and people are like, well, oh, you know, yeah. they yeah, can steer the boat. It's like, no. Yeah, this is so glad you said this because this week Gavin McLeod died and he was the guy that mm -hmm. ran the love boat. So I'm yeah. just saying there's an opening. I'm not saying anything <laughs> else. Guy. And uh, yeah, no, I think, um, 
I think that's the way we ought to go. But but that would be what would happen if you put speculative investments, mm -hmm. individual stocks. Um, you know, people now there's some way to put Bitcoin in there. That's crazy. Even if you thought these were going up, and I'm telling you the reason. The reason is is that when you have stocks in an ordinary account and you have losses and you're gonna have losses. Anybody that tells you they don't have losses, just lie and more. And if they manage money and tell you they never lose, run, you know, cause it's just the nature of what, what's happening. And so um, you get to take the losses, you know, like, you know, let's say March of 2000, I had a lot of stocks go underwater on me. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not happy about it, but let's say I've got a hundred shares of Exxon. I'm gonna sell those hundred shares of Exxon at a loss and buy a hundred shares of Chevron. It's basically the same thing, but I get to have a loss that I can take against my income. If you're in an IRA, you can't do any of that. Mm. It's just a, like a big jar that you're in. And so um, the speculative thing shouldn't be in there. And here's another thing to look at uh, here, sometimes in the investment business, Matt, is look at it kind of like a pyramid um, for your investing, where, you know, at the base, you've got your investments in bonds and money market funds and bank CDs. And then you work your way up and now you've got mutual funds. Uh, some people are more speculative. They put a few uh, individual stocks in there. And the, the, the top is just your crazy money, just the tippy tip top of it. But I wouldn't do even that in the retirement, the retirement funds. And, and, you know, so here we are with a really simple answer. But here's the other thing. Every couple of years, let's relook at it. And the mm -hmm. thing I would do at that point is one, uh, you're older. So now it's uh, two years later, you're Matt. And, uh, You've, uh, I don't know how things are going for Matt, but he's, he's, in a, he's in a different apartment. He's got the same girlfriend, but things are going pretty well, but he's older. And, uh, and so now he's 100 minus 32, and he should only have 68% of his money in stocks because we want to get that down so that when you do get time for it, when you get close to retirement, you've got a lot more bonds than you do stocks. And that's going to, you've made your money in stocks, but you can't afford that volatility at the end. And there's one more step Matt, is very important, is rebalancing. Every same thing, let's say every couple of years you go in there. Let's say you decided that you had a third S&P 500 index, third small cap and a third international. Well, you'd go in there and you'd realize that after a couple of years, things might've changed. Like small cap stocks may have really outperformed large caps and international may have fallen down, for instance. You wanna go back in there and remake it a third, a third and a third. So you get back to your original asset allocation. Of course, what you're doing there, despite your own need to screw up, you're actually, um, you're, uh, actually buying uh, low and selling high. Oh, yeah. That's what you're doing. And so, um, and the, the other great thing is, is that the idea, let's say you got a 401k. So individual one, you're, you know, you're putting 6,000 in a year. But let's talk about a 401k where most people listening here are going to be. The other great thing about a 401k, is that psychologically, it's so much easier to not look at it and to feel good about it. Because if the market goes up, you think, wow, I don't wanna look at it, but I know that I know my retirement fund has really grown and, uh, and, and think that's great. Uh, but the downside of that is all that new money that's coming in the first of every month is buying uh, these funds at higher prices and you're buying uh, fewer funds with the same amount of money. But, so there's an offset. And then you go the other way, Matt, and you think uh, oh, the market gets clobbered and you think, well, that's not good. But now you're, all the new money is buying these funds at lower and lower prices. So you should be able to psychologically sleep, at, you know, should be able to sleep at night without 
medication, maybe a little melatonin, but um, it's, uh, it's going to change things for you. And, and you can work on things like um, learning badminton or guitar <laughs> or something or, or uh, joining a softball team. They, this stuff shouldn't eat you alive. And, um, and, and that's what it tends to do when people want to make it more complicated. I was going to ask you, um, one of the things that was pointed out to me when I started actually taking an active interest in my retirement was like, well, what they do with your 401k, and I, I, with an IRA, it's different because you set it up yourself, but what your 401k, they usually take your money, whatever your contribution is, and they drop it into, uh, I, I always see it like a T-row price 60-year retirement thing. It's a low risk, low return. Yep. And um, one of the things that was pointed out to me when I started doing what you're describing, which is like the diversification of your 401k into different funds was to look at the cost. But like, I didn't know because I was kind of a, you know, obviously a noob. What is like a good cost ratio? Cause I think I saw that the one for the morning star T row price was like 0.1, but these index funds were like 0.001, 0.003, things like that. Like what is a good number to look at? I think, I don't think you should be paying more than a half a 1%. Uh, I really, it's, you shouldn't be. In fact, um, you know, uh, I just think that's the right thing to do. And most most companies, Matt, what you're going to do is you come in. It's very ridiculous because you go in there first day of work. All you want to do is get going. And there's like a 95 year old woman that runs HR. I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but um, <laughs> she says, you know, you know, fill this out. And you're like, I don't know. You know, I'm just checking the boxes or whatever. But it's so so important for you. But most companies will have about 10 to 12 different investments in there. And they're basically all mutual funds. In fact, you brought up a great point. They're either all mutual funds or these, these kind of uh, standard date kind of mutual funds, like you had mentioned there, where it basically it reallocates as you get closer to retirement. So it sort of does what we were talking about on, only automatically. Okay. And um, funny thing is a lot of, a lot of things have been done in the industry to try to figure out how many mutual funds, you how many different options you should give an employee and in the beginning, companies said, you know, I love my people and I will give them 50 choices. And uh, they found out, well, that just paralyzes them. And, uh, and other people was like, uh, two, we'll give them two. That is, uh, you know, and, and they found out the, the real number is around 12. Really? Okay. That's yeah. what Vanguard has. Yeah. Yeah. There's a <laughs> yeah. And think about why they're doing it, um, by the way, Matt, is when you get, not that you can't move and take your plan with you. But you get a little stickier, you know, it's just, you're less likely to leave, mm -hmm. you know, the employers matching the funds. And by the way, not all employers will match that 401k, but if they do, and you don't absolutely, absolutely need the money because all of the money, because at the end of the month, you've eaten cat food or something like that. The um, very high examples, right? <laughs> but um, take, take the deal you know, or partial of the deal. Let them try to match your funds. Uh, it's free money. There's no other place for free money. And, um, and uh, the reason all these happen, by the way, why companies do it, the government does, is they don't want you to end up broke. They really don't. Um, you know, I used to be a, the investment instructor for the New Orleans Saints players and mm -hmm. uh, for a few years, and that was a, a real hoot. Um, if you ever wanna know, see people confused about their money, Giant people playing football is really one of the uh, <laughs> one of the top groups, and uh, and uh, and so they had a voluntary pension plan, and the big thing was just our only job. And there was a guy from the University of Michigan that taught Detroit, and everybody was to get them to sign up for the voluntary pension plan. It was one of those things. It was like it's, I'm sure it's much higher now, but 
25 years ago was uh, they took 20,000 out of your paycheck every year and they matched it with a free 20,000 and people weren't doing it. Mm-hmm. So it was like any hook or crook you could kind of convince them on, but that's really what's going on for every employee as well. Yeah. I, that, one of the things that I had looked at with um, thinking of like, well, why, why would this thing have a higher cost? And you were saying it there a second ago, I just wanted to make sure I was making, I was hearing it right. You see the T-Row price, Morningstar, yada, yada, yada. It has like a 0.1 cost, which is, you know, like 1%. Um, and then, yes, it seems like nothing at the time, right? But you were saying over time that cost will eat into it. So the work that you just described of every year rebalancing, doing that, that's all they're doing for you. That's all they're right? doing in that fund, that uh, that time-dated fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that's sort of, um, you think about that. It's kind of an expression they use in the industry. That's a fund of funds. You can see how far we've gotten. Is uh, that that fund? That fund is buying mutual funds and just changing the asset allocation as you age. That's all it's doing. It's uh, um, and it's funny because I I had once I was giving a speech once and a guy came up to me and he said, "Yeah, I like your talk, but it wasn't. It was all about stocks, so it didn't pertain to me because all my money's in mutual funds." I thought, "Wow." I guess he thought mutual funds are made of cheese. I don't know. That's just stocks in them, you know? And uh, so, yeah. And then it, it becomes like an index fund, S&P 500. I, we're only kidding, but, you know, anybody could do that. It rebalances itself every every night. But if you were trying to actively pick stocks, you're going to have to charge somebody a little something, mm-hmm. uh, investor, because it's work. Like the fund we do with the students um, here at Tulane, um, the Birkenrode Fund, that I mean, that takes a lot of kicking the tires and going out and traveling and, you know, trying to f- figure out who the, what the next big play is and such. I don't know if I ever told you this, but there's a big investment firm in Boston. And when you're a company, I just heard this recently, <laughs> when you're a company, you want to pitch your idea to the, this big investment firm so they'll think about buying your stock. And of course, they're there and they've got every Mo Dick and Harry coming in that wants to pitch them, right? So what they do is they give each of them 20 minutes hmm. to uh, pitch their stock, but even better than that, they put, you start out, and before you get started out, they put an hourglass in front of the table between the <laughs> two of them. Holy mackerel, that is so intimidating. It's like clock would be one thing, but this, like you just see the sands going. <laughs> what is intimidation <laughs> technique? I know. <laughs> Some ancient medieval torture just to get an idea. That's- <laughs> oh man! So, I don't. I don't know what to do with that. Oh, I, I would. I, I. Every morning I have to get up. I have to write a story, and I'm putting it together. And let's say I have two hours. I have from, you know, three o'clock till three till five o'clock, right in the morning. I can tell you that, like that first twenty minutes, I'm like, oh, I've got all the time in the world. And then as it gets closer to four, and I know I have it has to be finished, I think. Oh no, this is terrible. Now, luckily my brain will focus around that time, but could you imagine if you didn't do well under pressure or if you didn't have that ability? Ooh. Oh yeah. So what time do you get up, Matt? Usually two o'clock, two thirty, something like that. In the morning? Mm-hmm. Wow, Matt, you're my hero. It's you know, it's not anything I ever wanted to do, but they offered the job, it was a morning show, and I said, All right, I'll do it. It's fun. <laughs> you get used to it? Uh, no, you never really do. Because it, you know, you ruin it on Friday and Saturday when you want to stay out till ten o'clock, which is like you know, late night at that point. <laughs> but I will say this, um, I'm incredibly more productive as a result because I've done all my work by like 11 in the morning. So the rest of the world day is just bonus. And I kind of, I do things like this and other projects when I'm uh, not at work. Cause I, I like to think, you know, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. A body at rest yeah. tends to stay at rest. So 
it works out though in that like um you know i i'm also there to see everything before it happens so i i like to watch the markets in the morning like you said i don't um I did buy one stock this year. I bought one stock. I've watched it go down for a month now. And I thought, you know what? This is what happens. I just don't pay attention for. And I won't even mention what it is because it's not worth it. But with your retirement, uh, is there any amount of or percentage that you would support someone just kind of saying, you know, I just want to play with the stocks and see how they work or invest in individual companies? What percentage would you do of that if you were going to do that? If, if you're going to do it in your retirement plan? Mm-hmm. I, I would say no more. I would say 5%. I guess some people might go as high as 10%, but it's got, if you think of it as that pyramid, it's just got to be the tippy top of that. And, um, you know, maybe you'll get a couple that are really work out. Uh, I still would, if I still wouldn't trade in, I would, I would still like take a couple of things you believe in and, and just go and hold it in there and see what it goes like. And that's an interesting way to invest, Matt. Like I have some things that I think are real. And this is over the last 10 years, and I think really uh, are going to be great down the road. Like I believe in um, the whole country's falling apart and we'll spend like a zillion dollars in infrastructure. So I bought a couple of companies that uh, are really in the road building business and all that. I also believe in climate change. It's so funny, my wife and I are big climate change people. She's investing in solar and Tesla. I'm investing in uh, Owens Corning and Generic. So it's a... Uh, <laughs> So we're on the same team, but I guess I'm the half-empty uh, so, part of the. So you guys are on the the pro climate change team, but let's get it hotter. That's. Yeah, no, I really don't want. I just think <laughs> it's inevitable, you know. And so, uh, so I just pic- picture we're both politically liberal in this in this way. <laughs> I just picture the shingles flying off and uh, generic. Uh, oh God, I bought that stock at forty a few years ago, and it's like three hundred twenty-five dollars because everybody, you know. Everybody's getting backup power. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like every every hurricane, every um, those fires in California. You know, so yes. I guess what I'm looking at is not to talk about my individual portfolio, but if there's a couple of themes you wanted, um, it, that would be something you might want to might want to do. I have it. Not that it's you know related to the retirement, but um, just you know in a way when I think about it, one of the things that I think is the least talked about portion of um, the new economy is yes, we're talking about green economy, and that's great. Obviously, things will have to go in that direction. They'll either go by hook or by crook at some point. Um, but picking that would be kind of difficult. But what you kind of pointed to is something that not many people talk about, even in news, is uh, climate sustainability. Like, how do we live in this world that's being created by the climate change? Because obviously, we know it's, it's – I mean, unless someone has a machine, it's irreversible. So right. how do you, if you live in Norfolk, New Orleans, places below sea level, what will that look like? And I think um, that's going to be a very interesting like realm for – the economy not only of you know your infrastructure of roads and bridges but also like homes complete blocks will have to be in some way made sustainable you know or resilient in a way i i agree i i think maybe if somebody that made gills would be good you know it's uh below sea level it's uh by the way that early mornings piece you talked about i trained on the pacific stock exchange and um so i used to take the bard in from berkeley uh, and of course, the market would open at six thirty in the morning, and we had to be there at four thirty. And I, I got the biggest kick out of it. I, I would talk to people on the West Coast that I'd met in training, and say like, "Who do you date? Like sixteen-year-old girls? I mean, because you, you know, it's like, it's like you know, uh, so listen. So I'll pick you up around four thirty for dinner. You know, like what, what are we talking about? You know? And they said that they only, the only people you can date are people in the business, oh. and they don't think, they don't think you're a creep. Well, it's 
getting on, I've got to be heading home. It's almost seven o'clock, you know? And so, <laughs> I used it as a way to get out of date. So I'd be like, well, listen, it's, you know, I got to be asleep by six. So either you can do drinks at four 30 or I'm done. Um, I would say, uh, another thing that I was wondering about, maybe there's no answer to this was, um, for some reason having moved, you know, I, I suddenly have money sitting in these savings accounts, right? Um, should it sit there with as low as interest rates are or should it, or should people move them or is that just not a, a question you answer at retirement lunch? <laughs> no, no, it's, um, it's true. Um, right now that you're getting paid almost nothing in a money market fund or some sort of savings fund. And the thing is, you're also getting nothing even if you go out. Like I was just looking, a three-year CD right now yields 0.25%. And then you've got to lock the money up for three years. Is it worth it? I don't think so. You know, um, and plus, um, you know, it seems uh, it's, it seems like, um, you know, we may see higher interest rates at some point. You know, it's uh, uh, it's certainly we're starting to see some inflation. Uh, I, I think there's a reason to um, reason to hang in there with some cash and cash isn't isn't terrible. It's uh, I always think of cash it makes me feel better as dry powder. <laughs> you know, for when bad happens, you know, you pick some stuff up and uh, uh, at least that's, in my mind, that's what it, what it's about. Yeah. I, that was what I was wondering about was just like where to move that to. But another kind of like thought as far as retirements go, um, at what point, like, and this is way down the road, when do you start to withdraw and how does that work? Because a lot of people right now, we're stockpiling, you know, like uh, little groundhogs, just throwing things under, you know, just buried in the backyard essentially. And then you start to wonder like, well, when, when do you, and how does that work? Like when do you, you obviously want the cash flow to continue into your retirement or you want that to keep investing. How do you take money out and still have a sustainable life, you know, after like whatever your retirement age is? Cause who knows? It'll probably be 80 with the way things are going for me. Well, <laughs> well you know how um, uh, you have to take some of the money out by 59 and a half age. And then, um, no, I'm sorry. Take that back. At 59 and a half, you can start to take some money out. At 70 and a half, you're required to take some money out. So they don't want it to kind of go to the grave with you and all of that, I, I think, for taxes. So, yeah, that's going to start coming out. And you can see when you change that asset allocation, when you're starting to buy more bonds. Now, generally, those bonds will produce more income than those stocks did. And so if you keep going there, not only when you decide to start taking money out, those securities should be yielding more. So that what you want is that cash flow during retirement. And that's what's going to happen little by little by rebalancing and moving that 100 minus your age statistic in your favor. So, uh, you know, it's not sexy, but, you know, I've, you know, I'll be honest with you, Matt. I've known hundreds and hundreds of people that have made millions and millions of dollars in the stock market, and they've all made it the same way. They've basically bought good stocks or good mutual funds and kept them forever. And, uh, and that's where they and all the people that are trading and the day traders, they're just, it's just a matter of time before they blow themselves up. It's just, like you go to, it's, it's, uh, and it's sort of like mysteriously, um, it, nobody's doing this on purpose, but it's sort of like drug pushers. You know, they, they let you win the first couple of, I always think that about casinos and then, mm -hmm. then they, you barrel in and then you blow up. So. I, I once did a, uh, I think it was like 19 or 20. I was on a cruise and I wanted to go play uh, roulette. And I, I thought, you know what? Even I could be lucky. And my mom came downstairs to the casino with me because we're on a family trip, and there's nothing cooler than playing roulette with your mother. And I remember <laughs> the stress that I felt. I, I had $20. I lost 10 of it. I lost it down to five. 
and then I lost, you know, all of it. And then I put another 20 down. And then, you know, the whole time she is like shaking me and she's like, what happened? What's happening with our money? What's happening with our money? She, she, and so we lose the, the, other, the other 20 goes down to 10, but then it goes back up to 40. And she thinks we made $20. And I said, no, we've broken even after three hours of this. That's and that's stock market math too. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to, you know, stock goes from 20 to 10. It's a 50% drop, but you got to get, to get back to 20, you need a hundred percent gain. So it's, um, and I, I like the idea of you on a cruise ship with your mother in a, with a roulette wheel. That's a visual I'll never really be able to get out of my head. <laughs> As a 20 year old man looking for like, you know, just a date for the week, someone to hang out with. There's nothing cooler than your mom hanging out with you. Oh her, yeah. That, and, that, yeah. There's a, you know, I, I was talking to somebody once that told me they had an uncle who, um, and it, I guess the numbers worked out. He didn't have a home anymore. He just went from cruise ship to cruise ship. And you know, sometimes if you wait till the very end, they just have a cabin. It's like, I don't know, just get get a body in there. And um, and and he would meet. Of course, he turned it out to even really be more elaborate. He would always try to meet a wealthy woman on the cruise ship. And that's I another think, retirement plan. See, I'm just putting out there as an option. It's like the twelve mutual funds. <laughs> Listen, you you could do the twelve mutual funds. You could do a stock investment. You could you know do cryptocurrency. But I do think that a wealthy widow of some sort is probably the best way to go. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know what. Um, I have a book called the uh, Seeking the Wealthy Widow that'll be out in a couple of months. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know you have to learn a lot of poetry. You have to know a lot of old things because they've been impressed by everything. Oh, yeah, that would be you know it'd be good for you. It'd be like uh, hey, uh, what was your favorite episode of Golden Girls? <laughs> that would be. I've had to update it from what's your favorite Marx Brothers movie. <laughs> Now, if you're re they're really all this, like a last great silent movie. <laughs> and uh, and then we, we talked about, we usually talked about the market uh, we've seen in the well, last week. And I was going to ask you, not even last week, but, um, you know, maybe if there's something you saw last week, but I was kind of curious because this is sort of the unofficial beginning of summer. What are we, other than inflation, what are we looking forward to seeing this summer? What are some things that could be kind of flashpoints in the economy that we might see? I think um, I think you're, it's going to be a very interesting way to learn about stocks because you're going to there's so many people right now that are going, wow, uh, you know, people are starting to drive again. Um, I'll buy auto stocks or they're starting or they're flying. I'll buy airline stocks. That is what they euphemistically called baked in the cake. That's already in the stock prices. Or and if you're Italian like us, you know, you could say uh, like uh, it's like uh, it's like ragu. It's in there, you know. It's uh, it's already in the front. You can't. You've got to be way ahead of these things. And um, so I think that's one of the mistakes you'll see is uh, people going into these uh, reopening stocks where it's already it's really factored in there already. And uh, I think, but everybody's the bellwether here is going to be inflation. And uh, I think you're not going to see persistent inflation. I think the supply chain mess will get straightened out. Um, but I, and I think um, I think so. Betting on these things as being permanent, I think, will be a will be a bad idea. Mm -hmm. But I, I still a lot of great companies out there, Matt, where you feel good about the business. Um, you know, Peter Lynch was one of the great money managers at Fidelity's Magellan Fund. He always said, "Invest in stocks of companies you understand." And uh, so that's what I would do. I'd think of you know all of us have some advantage. Uh, you know a bit more about broadcasting than everybody else. Uh, 
you know, I know a lot more about dating wealthy widows, things that I know that was an example we made. But, uh, but you do, you have an innate advantage in a few fields and why not take advantage of it? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that. And then with that, the way I keep looking at everything is like, you're right. If you thought of it, so has somebody else. So what's something, a company that you're kind of committed to or you're interested in? Um, I think a lot of people have looked at lumber prices and now they're jumping into the lumber companies, but that's already up. Um, yeah. I, I know a lot of people are looking at, you know, oil or I guess you call them energy companies and say, you know, well, that, that's going to go up. Uh, the one thing I was very curious about was, do we see any, and this is just me speculating, do we see any growth, do you think, in medical or pharmaceutical companies as a result of all these vaccines? Because I keep thinking of this entire pandemic as sort of a one long commercial for Pfizer or for Moderna. Right. It really, or uh, really any of them, because all of a sudden you realize these, uh, what these companies do and how important they can be. Uh, by the way, because we're both baseball fans, in center field in Fenway Park, I guess Moderna is a Boston company. They have an ad in dead center field, Moderna. I think people are like, where did I hear that name? Well, if you're to follow the conspiracy theorists, perhaps uh, it was injected into them to invest at the same time. Oh, yeah. That, I'm sure a lot of our center fielders look stronger. Yeah. Um, it is. <laughs> I, I was, um, that was one I thought about because it, it just kind of like completely amateur, just looking at this from abroad, uh, or from, I guess this would be what, the, the 5,000 foot view. Uh, I looked at it, so, you know, Pfizer and Moderna, they came up with these vaccines that do really well, but only in super cold temperatures. So obviously your, your major cities are going to get those vaccines. But Johnson & Johnson took this route for these things that only need a, need a refrigerator, which means they can cover more of the United States and then more of the world. So I thought to myself, like, in the long run, was that, and I hate to, like, use a pandemic to look at it, but like you said, there's always opportunities and everything. I kept wondering if, like, that wasn't a, a very shrewd strategy on Johnson & Johnson's part to get more people and have a larger outreach and they could sell to more countries. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I thought you were going to tell me you were going to invest in the freezers. They had to keep the other uh, vaccines in that. That would have been a good idea. The freezer company individually, whatever it was, Yeah, but you'd have to know in advance. That'd be insider knowledge. I think healthcare in general though, it's uh, you know, the baby boomers and I, I guess I'm a young baby boomer on the, that range, but you just, um, you need more and more uh, medical help. So I think anything from medical equipment, uh, I sat on the board of a company in a field that I think is pretty amazing, and that's home health. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, you know, uh, as you get to a certain age, one thing about home health, I mean, um, is I say we, I'm no longer involved in it, but uh, home health can take care of you at home for about one tenth the cost of the hospital. And then you want to be home, and then you don't get things like staph infections and everything else. And we were eventually talking about, now it's kind of commonplace a term called hospital at home is about, is, isn't really anything they can't do uh, for you at home uh, versus being in, a, being in a hospital. And so, and government, you know, with Medicare and Medicaid, they're gonna eventually figure this out. I think, um, you know, the hospitals are, have big lobbies in Washington and all that, but, and I don't think home health does, but eventually if you're spending zillions of dollars and somebody goes, you know, I could uh, get it for one-tenth the cost, it was like a, uh, Actually, you know, how would that work? You know, um, this would be, uh, 
And so um, I, I, that's one of the things um, when we talk about uh, healthcare and the cost, they're obviously through the roof, especially when you look at you know United States compared to any other developed nation. But one of the things that I keep thinking of is, yes, that's true for now. But if you offer a disruption, say home health, like you described. So, for example, my grandparents live in a retirement community. It's a nice one. It's more of a retirement hospital community type thing. It's very nice, but it also has already depleted my grandfather's retirement. Now, he is 94, but he, there's no more money after the next two years. It is the most expensive thing. Where my, my parents are finding in retrospect, them staying at their house would have been cheaper. They own the home. They could have gotten in-home care. So, yeah, it's, I think disruptors like that will be what have to ultimately bring down the price. But I'm also not a prognosticator of health care costs. You know, I met a guy we had on the show not long ago. I mean, this is why I'm so excited about the future, Matt. This guy invented a way to photograph, this sounds like a gross thing, but photograph wounds. And it has a little metric thing on it so the doctor could look at it and see exactly if it had gotten larger or smaller, um, real, you know, very tiny, tiny increments. And, um, and basically what that was gonna do is really boost home health care because uh, if we can stop you or they can stop you, um, from having to go into the emergency room or having to go in and see a doctor, you're saving so much money for the system. And uh, when you got things like, I can just pull it up on my laptop, that would be a nice night. Kind of, you know, I just had a couple of drinks and looked at the wounds of my patients. But um, they, uh, Bob, you know a good time when you see it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, if you could do it that way, you know, sure, sure you would. Yeah, you're right. So I was thinking maybe next week. Um, I had somebody ask me this, and I thought there's probably a way we could frame this that would be, you know, helpful to, you know, fiscal understanding and education, as well as answering their question. But he wanted to know, how do you know when to sell a stock? So my thought was, looking at stocks, you were just talking about um, a little bit ago, uh, how, let's say, the market crashes or goes down, you see Exxon, you say, well, I'm going to sell on my Exxon and buy Chevron at the same price. I thought we could kind of examine that aspect of, you know, Maybe you should hold on to a stock for 30 years, or maybe there's a time when you should sell it, or maybe there's a time when uh, it, it's you should buy more. Maybe sort of like the, the buying and selling of the stock. Right. And, you know, Matt, you brought up a good point because most people say it's relative. If you do the work, you can find cheap stocks to buy, it, but it's so much easier to buy stocks than determine when to sell stocks. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I will have a week to figure this out. Sounds good. <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you for uh, joining us, Peter. That was a fun time. And I'm glad that we now know what I can do in a half hour to fix what is so bereft of any sort of knowledge, which is my retirement. I just finished my last chip, so this is perfect. perfect. Thanks so much uh, for listening at home as well, and we'll see you next week.